0: Here's how lucky I am and how fortunate we all are in Kansas City. When the local baseball team is playing as poorly as the Royals, who take a nine-game losing streak in tonight's game against the Twins, there's always a happy baseball-related place to visit. So I did. Earlier this week, I headed out to the Negro League Baseball Museum to chat with its president, Bob Kendrick. A few minutes talking baseball with Bob and your spirits are lit. You'll hear our entire discussion today on Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Friday, July 2nd, and I'm Blair Kirchhoff. We talk about the Negro League Baseball 101 initiative, the impact of having Negro League stats count with Major League numbers, and Buck O'Neill's chances to reach the Hall of Fame this time, among other topics. One area that we don't cover because of my forgetfulness is Kendrick's new podcast, it's called Black Diamonds, and is available everywhere you get your podcasts. I'll link to episodes in the show notes. After the All-Star break, Bob is headed back to the studio to record more episodes. So let's get started talking baseball and the Negro League Museum and, oh, indulge me by listening to the credits. We have a long list today for a special reason. Negro Leagues 101, Yes, I think that's, that's really cool. How uh, did the idea originate and, and, and take us through uh, what's going to happen over the next
1: several months? Well, the, the idea really kind of emanated from the fact that so much of the 100th anniversary celebration that we had planned for last year was lost because of coronavirus, although we were certainly able to create a level of engagement around the 100th anniversary the celebratory events really kind of fell by the wayside. We weren't able to do those things. And so the Negro Leagues 101 is a continuation of the celebration, but it's also the introduction of a national educational initiative that the museum has embarked on that really does truly embody the spirit of a 101-level college. course, of course, but this is going to be Negro Leagues history being introduced to all levels of learners, but including the actual creation of a Negro Leagues 101 college course that we're still hopeful may be available this fall, but more likely by the spring semester that we will make offer to colleges and universities as a way to bring this history into the classrooms at that level. And so, but the 101 will also become the umbrella in which all of our educational initiatives will fall under moving forward. And so this celebration has proven to be tremendously meaningful. And and of course, having Major League Baseball and the Players Association essentially endorse what we're doing and create a unified front for us to tout this history, you know, with the creation of 101 facts about the Negro Leagues that they're amplifying through their social media channels. And this is the first time this kind of union has really ever happened where all three of us have sat down at the table and said, OK, we're going to put together a strategy for how we're going to disseminate this information out to the public. So we needless to say, we're really, really excited about that partnership with Major League Baseball and the Players Association.
0: You kicked it off. Uh, episode number one. Yes. And yes. pay tribute to, to Buck, to Buck uh-huh. uh, the kind of the reason we're sitting here today. Yeah. One thing that I I, I absolutely appreciate about Buck, uh, Buck uh, O'Neill, when the Negro League Museum started, he he wanted an educational component for this. I remember that distinctly, that that was important to him.
1: It was extremely important to him. Education was at the forefront of Buck's existence, even though he was denied the opportunity to be educated at his native Sarasota High School when he was a kid, because that high school that was being built that he talked about was for black for white kids only, and so he couldn't attend. And, but education, he never, he never ceased understanding the real significance of education, and that was something that he touted every time he went out to talk to young people. That was the genesis for us working to build the Buck O'Neill Education and Research Center at the site of the Paseo YMCA. And in spirit is one of the reasons that propelled us to want to create these educational programs that target not only young people, but adult learners as well. Because the story of the Negro Leagues is really this incredible story that really had escaped the pages of American history books. So countless generations, as I like to say, have gone through our formal educations, Blair, without knowing one of the most significant chapters, not in baseball history, but in American history. And that's that rich, compelling, inspirational story of the Negro Leagues. And so we know that there are gaps in the pages of American history books. And there are so many who have contributed to the greatness of this country and their stories have never really been told. The story of the Negro Leagues is one of them. And it never ceases to amaze me when people come here, they are amazed by what they learn. But quite frankly, they are a little dismayed by the fact that I just now had an opportunity to learn this. You do leave questioning, why didn't I know this when I was in school? And we know the answer is actually pretty simple. American historians did us all a tremendous disservice. They kept this wonderful piece of baseball and Americana away from us. The 101 uh
0: the, 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 I saw the first one and, and the first few actually,
1: uh-huh. and Harold Reynolds. Harold did a did a beautiful did. job with the one on El Diablo, Willie, right. Willie Wells.
0: Yep. So, can we expect more uh, sort of guest appearances? By-
1: yeah. No, we will. We'll. It'll be a combination of very cool graphics and some very special guests who will be introducing some of these facts. And so, I'm excited. By the number of people that we've been able to get engaged and involved with this effort, and I just think it's going to have even greater impact than probably we even thought when we came up with this idea to roll out these one on one hundred and one facts as it relates to the hundred and first anniversary of the birth of the Negro Leagues. So I think I saw those on its own. Is it has its own website? Uh, we did a landing page uh, that Major League Baseball created for us, and so they'll be housed there, and then the Players Association, Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, along with Major League Baseball, we're all using our social channels to help put these messages out it as it relates to these facts as well.
0: Okay, and is it one a day?
1: One a day, yeah, essentially one a day. It should take us into the postseason, shouldn't it? That's exactly what it's supposed to do, And, and if we timed it correctly, it will end as the baseball season ends and the postseason begins. Um, and so what a cool way to bring into the postseason. And then we've got another campaign that I can't really say yet that will something. start at the beginning of the postseason. I think people are going to go nuts, or at least I hope they will.
0: Man, there's always something up your sleeve. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, Well, I I certainly have enjoyed the first few that I've seen. I'm I'm looking forward to um, uh, the subsequent uh, ones. It reminds me a little bit, just in in terms of getting different people involved, uh, it reminds me a little bit of the Tip Your Cap promotion um, because you were able to get so many good,
1: interesting people involved. You know, coming off the heels of Tip Your Cap, and it's so interesting that This is technically the anniversary of, today is the anniversary of the release of our Tip Your Cap campaign when we announced with the four U.S. presidents tipping their cap, President Obama, Clinton, Bush, and Carter tipping their cap. And then of course we were able to get Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Billie Jean King and Bob Costas and Stephen Colbert, Conan O'Brien. I mean, the list just went on and on and on and so that's what I talk about when I talk about the level of engagement around the museum. We couldn't do all the events that we had hoped to do for the 100th anniversary. But honestly, Blair, I think the engagement around the museum and Negro Leagues history is at an all time high. Uh, and then, you, you know, it was only bolstered by the, the announcement that Major League Baseball made at the end of last year when it announced that it was recognizing the Negro Leagues for what we already knew it to be a major league and that it was going to roll the statistics of the Negro Leagues into the annals of Major League Baseball history. And and baseball fans went nuts. You know, they had been clamoring for this. And so, you know, sometimes life gives you lemon and you have to figure out how you make lemonade. And throughout this pandemic, we've been able to make lemonade and, uh, you know, it, it, it tastes pretty sweet. You know, to come out of the ordeal that not just Negro Leagues Museum, but everybody had to endure with this crazy pandemic, and you know, to come out on this thing, and you know, as we're coming out of it, I should say, hopefully, we are on the the backside of this. The museum is is healthy and and strong, you know, and it gives me great hope that we can continue to build on that momentum.
0: That statistics uh, acknowledgement is no small thing. That's, no, that, that's that's major. It that's is huge. Um, and, and of course, I see it now on BaseballReference.com, mm-hmm. which is where everybody goes now for their for their baseball stats. How about how How long was that in the works? It
1: it was it was a significant <laughs> undertaking, and you know I don't know exactly when baseball approached these historians about the idea of doing this, but I know that it took yeoman's duty to to get this done, and, and that's why I tell people all the time I tip my cap to all those historians and researchers who worked together to collaborate, to do all of the unearthing that was necessary to get quantifiable data that led us to this day uh, that was announced in December. Because again, I'm not gonna say it was like finding a needle in a haystack, but it damn near was. you know. And these people were so diligent and so passionate about that. But I also think Blair, the work that we've done for now three decades, also helped get us to this point that they would be tasked with trying to pull the statistical data to look at this opportunity to recognize the Negro Leagues, again, for exactly what they were, a major league. And so it was tremendously historical, it is tremendously significant uh, along all fronts. And it has absolutely bolstered the interest in Negro League's history and again in this museum as the primary caretaker of this history.
0: Well I think the museum helped keep alive, you know, Negro League stars who had passed away, that whose yes. whose statistics now stand right next to yeah. the greatest baseball players in the you know in the major leagues. Um what I loved about it was you could go to baseballreference.com and type in Satchel Page's name, and, and you'll get his major league stats because yeah. he had a major league career. And, and some of the great Negro leaguers, you know, started to play in the major leagues in the 50s, but you didn't get the full, nowhere near the full story yeah. of a Satchel Page and others. Yeah. Um, and now you do. And, and now you, you get, get all of his monarchs and exactly. other teams. And,
1: yeah, you get a much clearer picture of just how great those players who did get that opportunity to transition, those are the players who I think will be greatly impacted by this decision. The players like Monty Irvin, Larry Doby, Satchel Paige, they all had substantial time in the Negro Leagues, but then went on to have pretty significant careers in the Major Leagues. And so their numbers will change drastically. You know, Monty Irvin now becomes a lifetime 300 hitter, where, you know, during the time that he was playing in the Major Leagues, I think he had like 297, 298 you know, which is nothing to sneeze at for a guy who was 30 years old by the time he gets to the Major Leagues, he was a shell of himself. But even that shell of himself was still star quality because that's how good Monty was. Well, his numbers will change dramatically because they were so strong during his time in the Ma- in the Negro Leagues. And, and as I tell people all the time, I wish Major League Baseball could have gotten Monty Irvin when he was 19, 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and so It'd be but, like getting Willie Mays at the beginning of his exactly, career. exactly. Yeah. You know, and so my only disappointment is that they had to cut it off in nineteen forty eight because you still had a number of great stars who were still there in the Negro leagues whose numbers would have been likely impacted had they maybe had the scope moved to nineteen fifty five because for me it was after the nineteen fifty five that the Negro leagues really became minor league at best. But you still had some significant talent in the Negro Leagues after 1948, and, and so it would have been interesting to see. But I, you know, that's just nitpicking. Uh, they did a tremendous job. We're so proud of the work that they've done. Uh, I think all of us who are part of the Negro Leagues family were ecstatic by the decision, and, and that's with the understanding that again, these players were never seeking validation from anyone. They knew how good they were. They knew how good their league was, and quite frankly, the major leaguers knew how good they were. So this wasn't about validation in their eyes. But it is significant that years later, Major League Baseball does acknowledge and recognize the contributions that were made to our game, both on and off the field, by these heroes of the Negro Leagues. And for me, there is a level of atonement that is associated with this because we know For those of us who knew about this commission, and most of us didn't even know about this commission that was put together in the late 1960s who failed to recognize the Negro Leagues as a major league, well, blatantly dismissed it is what essentially happened, which we know was racially motivated. And so, yes, they have righted a wrong. And and that's why I have to acknowledge what Commissioner Manfred and all of those who were involved in making this decision did. Because they essentially did what others could have done and didn't do. You know, so irregardless of the timing and what others may say, the motivation for doing it, it really doesn't matter. They did it and they did what others could have done and they didn't do it.
0: Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash SportsBeatKCoffer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. You mentioned earlier um, that you... Uh, when when visitors come in, especially for the first time, and the, the way they feel as they go through the exhibits, and uh, I, I remember how I felt the first first time I went through years ago. But I, I think that feeling only heightens when major league players come in here who have not been part of this. And I'll I'll never forget being here a couple of years ago when the Philadelphia Phillies. Mm-hmm. came in here and Andrew McCutcheon Ford yes. and, and was just overwhelmed by what he saw and several of the Phillies yes. too. Not just black ball players, white ball players Absolutely. too and coaches. Um I know you've had the Pirates in here earlier mm-hmm. this year. Um do you still get a kick out of seeing the you know having the major leagues come in?
1: It never gets old. <laughs> it honestly never gets old. And I guess for me it's kind of legacy. I watched Buck O'Neill take so many young ball players through this museum and the joy that he had relating these stories back to them and the joy that they had receiving these stories and their reaction to it. And now I get to do it and it never gets old. I never get tired of sharing the stories and seeing their reactions to the stories and helping them understand their places in this game. And it doesn't matter what color you are, Because what you share, and this is the message that I share with them every time I get to take one of the young Major League athletes in particular, through the museum, the bond, the common denominator that you share with the players of the Negro Leagues, just love of the game. Play this game because you love it. But as I also share with them, you will never see a greater example of love of the game than you do when you walk through that museum. They had to love it in order to endure the things that they had to endure just to play baseball. And I don't think that that is lost on these young ball players. And I think by the time they go through this experience, they gain a greater appreciation for what they have. You know, because I think as human beings, we're somewhat wired to complain. Even when we don't have anything to complain about, we will find a reason to complain. And every now and then, one of the coaches will say, well, you know, my guys were crying about a late night charter flight, a late night charter flight. And then you walk through this museum and you see the challenges that these athletes face where they could ride into a town, fill up the ballpark, but yet not be able to get a meal from the same fans who had just cheered them or not have a place to stay so they would sleep on the bus and eat their peanut butter and crackers until they could get to a place that would offer them basic services. All of a sudden that late night charter flight doesn't seem so bad after all. So it does create perspective and that's part of it as well. And so, yeah, so I still, man, I still enjoy every chance that I get. Derek Shelton over at the Pirates called me personally so that we could arrange for them to make their second visit. They were the only team that visited last year during the pandemic because of the tight quarantining that major league baseball was enforcing and they actually petitioned because he wanted his players particularly being from pittsburgh and, and the great connectivity that they have with two of the greatest negro league franchise two of the greatest baseball franchises of all time with the homestead grays and the pittsburgh crawfords he wanted them to be immersed in this environment and, and understand why this story is so profound there in the Pittsburgh area as well.
0: Right. I mean, um, uh, those two franchi- the franchises in Pittsburgh and the Kansas City Monarchs, I don't know if they had a rivalry going, but you know, along with the Stars and some of the others, yeah. they, those, are the, the, those were the Yankees and the oh, well, Dodgers no question. Of, uh, oh, no question. of their time.
1: Yeah, no, but right there in Pittsburgh, you had essentially a civil war of baseball <laughs> between the Grays and Crawfords. You know, uh, there was no love lost. <laughs> and great, great players. On both and those great two. players. We're talking about a bevy of future Hall of Famers right. that stock filled those two franchise rosters. Yeah, no, no. You can only imagine what that must have been like. And they had the,
0: the great newspaper there, too. the, the Pittsburgh the, the Pittsburgh
1: Curry. 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 Absolutely. Yep. Which I call the, I guess the, it was USA Today before we ever knew what <laughs> USA Today was because while it was a Pittsburgh-based paper, it was essentially a national paper. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and so that's that, you know how black folks got a lot of their news was through the courier. Yeah. Of course, we're very fortunate to have the Kansas City Call still publishing right. right down the street from the Negro Leagues Museum and Chicago Defender, the Amsterdam News. These were the primary voices that kept the Negro Leagues alive. And had it not been for the black press, we'd have very little To go on as it relates to how substantial the negro leagues really were
0: i went to the call archives to get all my monarchs history um the the star in the times had a little bit about especially the 24 world series 42 but the call my gosh covered the heck out of the monarchs yes Yes. as as you might expect Um, i I never i never want to come here without asking you about buck o'neill and the hall of fame Um, Can you give us sort of an update and what's what's the latest on, on, on what's going on there?
1: Well, what we know is that Buck is going to be on what I guess is called the golden era committee ballot. And they are scheduled to meet in December. They were scheduled to meet last year. They postponed it because of the pandemic. Didn't want to do it in a virtual environment. So they are scheduled to meet in December from my understanding, which means this is likely going to take place at the baseball winter meetings where it will ultimately be determined whether that Buck O'Neill gets in this time or not. And, and for me, I have to prepare myself mentally and emotionally with the understanding that he may not get in. You know, Although my heart of hearts believes that he will get in this time and you know, I also need to prepare as if he's getting in as well. And so it's this kind of interesting dual kind of juxtaposition, so to speak, <laughs> You know, I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse, but by the same token, we want to be able to have plans in place for what we hope will be a Buck O'Neill Hall of Fame celebration and an opportunity to really celebrate his museum. And, I, you know, so, yeah, I am hopeful and optimistic that it will happen. We'll learn his fate in December, however. It would be time to right a wrong is the way I look at it. Maybe you can't say that. I think a Maybe lot of people share that sentiment. And that's why, you know, Joe P- Joe Posnansky and I talk about this all the time. And, you know, we were all devastated when he didn't get in in 2006. And it won't feel quite the same because he's not with us. But for his fans who have been just as vocal about his belonging as they were the day that it didn't happen. And Buck has been gone for now almost 15 years. And and they are just as vigilant today as they were 15 years ago about this man belonging in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And so it it would be virtually impossible not to be happy for every one of them because I think in their minds, there would be a level of vindication. I think they would feel like their voices have been heard And and you got to be there to help cheer that on and and celebrate. And it is cause for celebration. You know, even when I push aside, you know, my own emotions of what took place in 06 and how difficult that year was. and, And then that year, Buck would pass on later that year, which made it even more challenging. But spiritually, you know, I think there would be kind of this, okay, he's there. Yeah, he's still with us. (laughs) we started our conversation
0: with Buck O'Neill and we'll end it with Buck O'Neill Bob, thank you so much
1: no, you're welcome Blair,
0: anytime that'll do it for today thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Derek Donovan Beth Welsh Monty Davis Jeff Rosen Chris Fickett and Savannah Smith okay, so that's how we end every show and that's the core of folks who do the heavy lifting of the producing editing and distributing of the podcast and they do it oh so well and because this is our 500th SportsBeat KC as a Daily podcast, that's right, we plowed through 500 shows. I want to give shout outs to several more people who have made it possible. We have had terrific guests like Bob Kendrick today, and folks like George Brett, Kevin Harlan, Kathy Nelson, Bill Hancock, so many others. I can't say enough about the star columnists and reporters who regularly appear. Vahe Gregorian and Sam Melinger are not only two of the nation's best sports columnists, they're top-notch guests who bring thoughtful analysis and commentary to the show, and they make me laugh, as do beat writers Sam McDowell, Herbie Teoby, Lynn Worthy, Jesse Newell, Gary Bedore, and Robinet. Robinette. They bring the expertise and the personalities, and we don't have a soccer conversation these days without Sean Lynn We've been doing this long enough to have accumulated a list of former star employees. Brooke Pryor was part of our first daily show because it happened at a Chiefs training camp in 2019. Suichi Tirada and Alex Schiffer covered Missouri and then went on to NBA Beats. We couldn't have been more fortunate to have started this podcast with a fantastic editor, Kathy Lou, and a digital world expert in Leah Becerra. I miss them both. The biggest thanks of all goes to you, our listeners. Please let us know what you think and offer suggestions either by review or just contacting me personally as we start on our next 500 episodes. Everybody have a great and safe Fourth of July weekend, and we'll catch up again next week.